Hello, and welcome to Objective Health, another exciting episode. I'm Doug. With me today are Erica and Tiff. Hello. And in the background, as usual, on the ones and twos is Damien. Hello. So today we are going to be talking about why the World Health Organization is so anti-meat. Uh... I guess just to put it in context, there was an article uh, put out by um, a nutritionist named Tim Reese. Um, he put it up on Medium. And it's a very long, um, thorough, let's say, uh, analysis of this question, basically. Why is the World Health Organization anti-meat? Um, and it kind of starts off uh, by kind of looking at the evidence that the World Health Organization has for their claim that uh, meat is probably carcinogenic and basically tears it apart. And then the second half of the article is more about why. Like, why would they do that given such weak evidence put out a statement like that? And maybe I'll just actually read the statement. Um, so it's the World Health Organization had a, a, um, a subgroup, I guess, or something like that called the International Agency for Research on Cancer or IARC. Um, and the IARC classified the consumption of red meat as probably carcinogenic to humans, group 2A, based on limited evidence that the consumption of red meat causes cancer in humans and strong mechanistic evidence supporting a carcinogenic effect. This association was observed mainly for colorectal cancer, but associations were also seen for pancreatic cancer and prostate cancer. So that's their kind of, their statement. But, you know, if you read through it and you kind of emphasize certain words in it, you see it actually weakens the statement considerably because it sounds like kind of a scary statement, right? Mm -hmm. Meat causes cancer. But what they actually say is that consumption of red meat as probably carcinogenic to humans based on limited evidence um, and strong mechanistic evidence supporting carcinogenic effect. So it kind of like they've hedged the whole thing. Like, they've kind of got mm -hmm. a get-out clause there. They said, well, you know, we said probably. We didn't say it was for sure. And they have since come out and said in a Q&A about the, uh, the document that they had put out that there is no um, proof that... Well, did they say proof? What was it? There is no... Um, sorry, I lost it there. It's, they said something like, there is no proof or there is no... Um, Eating red meat has not yet been established as a cause of cancer. So mm -hmm. they've already, after putting out that statement, they've already come, you know, kind of backtracked a bit and said, well, there's no actual evidence that it causes cancer or strong evidence. But it probably it does. probably causes cancer. It's like, thanks. Thanks, WHO. Good job. Well, that's this, the thing. If you come out and make this bold statement and people don't really pay attention to the whole probably thing that's in there anyway, exactly. if you come out and make this statement and it's putting headlines all over the world and millions of people read it and then the next day you quietly say, oh, I didn't really mean it that yeah, way. Exactly. No one's going to get that whole next part <laughs> where you said you didn't mean it. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess just as a bit of background, it came out in 2015. Um, actually, was it in 2015 that they put out the kind of like a short summary kind of thing? 
And then the yeah. actual report itself, which is like 500 pages, didn't come out until three years later. Oh. So they just kind of snuck it out there and said, oh, yeah, by the way, meat probably causes cancer. And then they didn't actually back it up with what the evidence they had and stuff for three years. It's a good uh, good buffer there so that by the time, you know, everybody's forgotten about it by the time it actually comes out. But, uh, well, what's interesting about the IARC too is that they were created by the WHO back in 1965, and their whole kind of basis was to um, have international collaboration in cancer research. And when you look into you know who these people are that are doing this type of research, um, it's stated that a key feature of ARC's process is transparency of its members and of the working group um, must have no real or perceived conflicts of interest and uh, ev evidence must be uh, openly available to all. So like you said, Doug, it's interesting that, that it took them all these years later to actually give that evidence. And in, mm -hmm. in the article you're talking about, um, at one point, a statement is made that a lot of these doctors are vegetarian, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's an interesting thing, actually. One of the guys who was on that panel, and his name is um, David Klerfeld. And he actually works with the um, USDA in the United States. And he was actually on that panel. He uh, said that it was one of the most frustrating experiences of his entire life. Mm -hmm. And uh, I listened to a podcast with him on... Um, uh, what's it called again? Like, um, peak human. That's it. Sorry. Um, so I listened to a podcast with him and he was talking about it and he said that he estimated, and it was just, you know, it wasn't a formal poll or anything like that, but he estimated that about one quarter to one third of the panel were vegetarian or vegan, vegetarian, mm -hmm. some form or the other. And he thinks that that should be declared as a conflict of interest. Most which, definitely. Yeah. Because, you know, essentially these people have an ideology. And one other interesting thing he said, which I think is very true, he said that the vegetarian people on that panel that he interacted with were all very interested in making everybody else vegetarians, but the meat eaters <laughs> had no interest whatsoever in trying to convert the vegetarians to being meat eaters, mm -hmm. which is very telling in and of itself. It's like part of the vegetarian ethos is that you have to convert as many people as possible. So if you've got them writing dietary guidelines for the entire world, that kind of thing is a conflict of interest. You should, you know, that should be stated up front that, by the way, we have a significant portion of our panel who really want you to be vegetarian. Yeah. Well, and kind of another ironic thing that happened in 2015 was that the IARC also said glyphosate was probably a carcinogen mm -hmm. as well. And I mean, for those that are interested, you can read on SOT.net, just type in IARC and you can read several articles about how, you know, they basically were deemed, you know, corrupt or unscientifically based, you know what I mean? Because of going against a corporation like Monsanto or now Bayer, you know, so, and, and, Again, the vegetarian thing, like if you're eating vegetables, there's a really good chance you're eating vegetables that were produced using Roundup or glyphosate, mm -hmm. you know, so that that that's it's 
very interesting that, you know, that that doesn't get a lot of attention or it gets poo pooed a lot, but you know, the meat thing just sticks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really kind of, well, we're going to get into it more here, but I think it really has to do with um, money. You know, mm -hmm. if you're going by, you know, well, we'll get into it later. I mean, I guess we should first off state that meat is actually really good for you. And it's probably the most nutritious food that you can have. And, you know, eliminating it from your diet for ideological reasons or, I mean, the health reasons are bunk. I mean, the ideological reasons are bunk too, but, um, yeah, essentially, you know, it kind of, it, it, it's it's really in vogue to basically slam meat, you know, blame mm -hmm. all the problems. Everybody's health problems are because of meat. It's too much meat. And, you know, really there isn't any basis for that, despite the fact that the WHO has come out and said that it's probably carcinogenic. Um, there really isn't any evidence for that. And one of the things that's great about the Tim Reese article is that he really goes through and shows you that. He shows you the different studies that they are relying on. Like, first off, um, they mentioned that they looked at 800 studies, which sounds, you know, really impressive. But what they don't tell you, well, they do tell you, but, you know, further on, they tell you that actually they whittled that down to 14 studies. So they started with 800, whittled it down to 14, and of those 14, seven showed an, an association with uh, meat consumption and cancer, and seven did not. Okay, so already you're looking at 50-50 here. And on top of that, one thing that uh, Reese does a very good job of going through is looking at the quality of evidence that they're looking at, right? All of those studies are observational studies. Now, observational studies, I mean, I guess we don't want to get too much into it, but basically observational studies are where you just kind of look at people and... Mm -hmm. You look at what they're eating and what kind of diseases they had. And then they kind of say, okay, well, there's some associations here. We found that people who eat meat, um, in one given study, people who eat meat were more likely to get cancer. Okay. The problem with that <clears throat> is that they haven't controlled for anything, right? They're just doing an observation. So there could be a million, probably literally a million different co-founding factors that could come in there that could cause some of the, the reason that these people who were eating meat were um, more likely to get cancer. I mean, it could just be that people who eat meat are generally ignoring dietary guidance, and maybe those people are more likely to ignore all health guidance. So mm -hmm. they're not exercising, they're eating a lot of junk food, drinking a lot of sodas. You know, there could be any number of different things that could be causing that thing, which is why they say that observational studies can't lead you to causation. You know, you can't mm -hmm. look at an observational study and say, oh, meat causes cancer. No, it doesn't work that way. It's very weak evidence. The only way that you can really get good evidence for something like that is if you actually control a person's diet. Like you control all the inputs that the person, you know, is, or as much as you possibly can, and you feed them a particular thing. Then you can say, you know, there's a pretty good chance that since we were feeding these people uh, meat and we didn't feed it to the control group, that they, uh, the people in the, the meat group got cancer. So yeah, there's a good chance that meat is actually the causative factor there because we controlled for everything else. 
Mm-hmm. So it's well, very weak. They evidence. not only didn't do a proper study, they relied on self report of the people that were in these so called studies to recall and then honestly report what they've eaten. Mm-hmm. Now, first, people are not going to recall everything that they've eaten. I have a hard time even recalling everything I ate the day before. Yeah. Then second, secondly, people are going to lie about what they're eating. Like say, oh, I ate like a pack of Oreos and uh, <laughs> I drank a two liter of Dr. Pepper. People inherently know that that kind of thing is not the healthiest thing to eat. So what's the likelihood of them properly admitting it, uh, writing out everything <laughs> that they've eaten and remembering everything that they've eaten it's just it's not possible <laughs> well one of the the studies that they looked at um it was actually stated in the in the thing this this part was actually hilarious because they say so one study stated and this is a quote from the study puzzlingly puzzlingly meat does not promote carcinogenesis in rat studies and it's like Okay, well, hold on. So what they did is they poisoned the rats with something called azoxymethane, which is a carcinogenic neurotoxin. Um, and they removed calcium and vitamin E from their diets, which are apparently things that will buffer um, you know, this poison from uh, causing this uh, colon cancer. And then they, they say, surprisingly, the rats developed colon cancer. It's kind of like... <laughs> How is that a useful study? So it basically means if you poison yourself with azoxymethane, make sure there's no calcium or vitamin E in your diet, and you eat meat, then you're going to get colon cancer. It's like, thanks, science. Good one. I guess I won't do that then. Well, the fact that they use the word puzzling, puzzlingly. Yeah means that they started off with a, a bias in the first place. And like yeah. you said Doug, earlier, that a large number of these scientists on this panel were actually vegetarian or vegan. So they're starting off with an assumption yeah. right up front that they think that meat is carcinogenic. So they're going to do whatever they can to actually prove what they already believe. Yeah, Exactly. And, and oddly, then they're going to bury it in 500 pages of ratings so you don't find it. Exactly. <laughs> but even with all of that, they still can't prove it. You have to poison rats and uh, deprive them of calcium in order to actually show any kind of correlation. Yeah. And it's like, and how does that, you know, how does that translate to anything in the real world in any sense? You know, but that study undoubtedly was splashed across headlines. You know, oh, scientists find that uh, meat causes uh, colon cancer. And it's like, no, they didn't. <laughs> they found out that poisoned rats with a nutrient-deficient diet who ate meat got colon cancer. That's, that's the extent of it. That's not translatable to the real world in any sense at all. That tells you nothing about what you should be eating. But if you keep inundating people with that idea again and again and again then it sticks, you know, um, mm-hmm. like a couple weeks ago, we did a show about Adius Huxley, Brave New World. And one of the things he says is one believes things because one has been conditioned to believe them. So if you keep just pounding people over the head with this false narrative, then whenever they see the word meat, they think carcinogen, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. 
So in that um, original statement that I, I read at the top, they talk about um, strong mechanistic evidence supporting a carcinogenic effect of meat. Um, and their strong evidence is like anything but strong, essentially. So first off, they talk about nitrates. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, nitrates cause cancer. But it's another similar thing where it's like if you overfeed rats nitrates, yes, okay, fine, then they're going to get cancer. But um, another study that uh, Reese quoted said, normal dietary nitrate and nitrite showed no harm to human health and no confirmed evidence stated the explicit association of dietary nitrate and cancer. Most existing research on nitrate and tumors ignored the complicated compounds in target foods, resulting in contradictory conclusions among researchers. So, yeah, like one of like you know this is some of the strong mechanistic evidence that they're talking about. Um, another thing that they talked about was heme iron. Heme iron is a vital nutrient that we all need. Is it possible to overdose on it? Yes, it is. Um, do you need to be careful about eating meat because of heme iron? For most people, no, not at all. Maybe if you have like severe hemochromatosis where you are, you know, it's a, it's a condition where people are like super absorbers of iron, essentially. Mm -hmm. So yeah, those people probably have to be careful. But for everybody else, like the idea that you're going to overdose on heme iron um, because you're eating meat is like highly, highly unlikely. Yeah. And there were a couple of other ones, heterocyclic aromatic amines and polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. Um, they said in that uh, IARC report, these chemicals cause DNA damage, but little direct evidence exists that this occurs following meat consumption. So they even kind of said right there. Um, yeah. So that's the, you know, essentially that's their, their um, strong mechanistic evidence. You know, it's these kind of compounds that, well, nitrates for one, you know, it's all contradictory, probably doesn't hurt. And interestingly, you get way more nitrates from vegetables than you do from meat. Like, you know, mm -hmm. it's something like 80% more from meat than you do from, or sorry, 80% more from vegetables than you do from meat. Um, and you produce it in your saliva. So th there's a lot of problems with that nitrate thing. And then you've got the, the heme iron, and, you know, that's really, I mean, iron deficiency is a problem worldwide. It's not that people are getting too much iron. That's very a very low, low on the, the scale of dangers, let's say that. Mm -hmm. Whereas people actually suffering from low iron, it's, it's much more likely. So, yeah, I'm not liking that strong mechanistic evidence. I wouldn't call it strong, in fact. No, I wouldn't even call it evidence either. Mm. But one thing that they conveniently left out, which the author of this article gets in, like the things that actually are shown to cause carcinogenic effects when they talked about um, sugar. Mm. And the sugar association didn't really take too kindly to that because right. they just like to say that people are too lazy and they don't exercise enough. And that's the reason why people are getting obese. But plenty of sugar is okay. Yeah. Just exercise more. Yeah, apparently they said um, they recommended keeping 
uh, sugar to less than 10% of daily calories, which already is pretty damn high. If you ask me, <laughs> 10% of your total calories coming from sugar, that's a lot. But uh, the Sugar Association um, came to them. There was a Guardian article that actually um, quoted... Um, yeah, I'm not going to be able to find it. But anyway, um, basically threatened them, <laughs> saying that we're going we're gonna to come up with laws that, says that, that say that you can't uh, make these unscientific claims and blah, blah, blah. And what they thought is that people should be able to have 25% of their diet from sugar. That was their line. 25% they thought was perfectly healthy, perfectly safe. A quarter of your diet coming from sugar. That's just insane. <laughs> So then the WHO was all like in a fluster and they decided to have a sit down with uh, a dozen or so CEOs and senior executives from different um, food processing companies like Nestle, Unilever, Coca-Cola, Kellogg's, PepsiCo, Cadbury, Schweppes, Compass, McDonald's, Yum Brands, anyway, and a bunch of others. Mm -hmm. And then when they came out of that, they had basically changed their tune um of course and now and you know after that they were kind of like oh we're going to work together with these companies now and we're all gonna um you know they're gonna they're gonna take a close look at their ingredients and maybe change some stuff and they're gonna you know give us money to um do more research and blah 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 blah. so essentially they like they they came up with these recommendations these companies didn't like that. They had a sit down, which was probably more like um, a threat. And mm-hmm. they came out of it saying, oh, we've decided to work together and they're all holding hands and everything is fine. And they're yeah, taking they offer money. Refuse, it <laughs> yeah. <sounds> like. yeah, <laughs> exactly. But that's so strange. Like in what world does like a major health body, an institution that's committed to protecting the public health, decides to hold a meeting with the food companies that manufacture unhealthy foods. Yeah. And yeah, and we're going to work with them and make things better. It's like if you're uh, a doctor, I'm going to meet with these. Well, I guess it's probably not the best, <laughs> the best <laughs> one because doctors are drug dealers too. <laughs> but say that you, you're like the health department in your local city and you're going to meet with the local meth dealer to see like, what recommendations he would have for <laughs> making the the population of your county more yeah. healthy. You should only Thank be doing meth, meth once dealer. once a week. That's what they, after that meeting. You should <laughs> limit should your meth to 25% of your daily <laughs> intake. As long as you're exercising. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're dying because you don't get off the couch enough. It has nothing to do with the meth that you're smoking. Yeah. So one interesting thing is that after after that meeting, um, Reuters did an investigation of the WHO because they didn't, the, you know, the WHO mandates that they don't take money from from companies or anything like that. But Reuters mm-hmm. did an investigation. <laughs> well, exactly. You should be skeptical. And basically, what they uncovered is that there is an offshoot of the WHO called the Pan American Health Organization, or PAHO. And they do take money from these companies. <laughs> <laughs> Lo and behold, so the WHO, like, you know, they keep their hands completely clean. But PAHO 
is has taken what did the Reuters uncover? Fifty thousand dollars from Coca Cola, a hundred and fifty thousand dollars from Nestle, uh, a hundred and fifty thousand dollars from Unilever, and probably more, right? But those were kind of the big ones that they uncovered. So, and you know, the, the after the Reuters investigation, the WHO put out a a, a statement saying uh, basically. No, that doesn't matter because uh, PAHO is a different legal entity than the World Health Organization. It's like, oh, so okay. CYA, cover your yeah. arsh. <laughs> it's like uh, oh, slam dunk. No, they're a different legal entity. Okay. I guess there's nothing to be worried about there then. So, yeah, it seems pretty obvious that, you know, the the question stated in our title and the title of the article is why is the WHO anti-meat? And this kind of seems like the answer, right? It seems Mm -hmm. like they are basically being influenced by the industry who don't want them slamming their processed foods. So they had to look for something. They needed a bad guy, right? So the bad guy becomes meat. And, you know, there's a lot of precedence for this with um, the long history of anti-fat, anti-animal fat in particular. Um, So, I mean, it was kind of like a foregone conclusion that that would be what they would focus on. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. well, if, if it's not the sugar and it's not the processed food, what are we left with? And Reese even points out that the WHO, when you go to their pages now, they don't even make recommendations on protein because they've worked themselves into a corner. They've got nothing to say, <laughs> right? It's like they can't recommend any kind of animal product because oh, we already said that probably causes cancer. So what are they left with? Like beans and rice? The same thing yeah, that... Uh, no, they're going to they're gonna start pushing the Impossible Burger. Well, yeah. It's, it's opening the way for Schmeet, guys. Yeah. <laughs> and if anything well, gives you duh. cancer... I mean, if, aside from the United States, the United States is supposed to be the biggest funder of the World Health Organization. And Bill Gates is second. And we all know that Bill Gates has his nasty little fingers like way deep down into the whole fake meat phenomenon. He's heavily invested in it. So, of course, the company or the legal or what what is the who anyway? We didn't vote for these people. Not that it matters if we voted for them or not, but (laughs) this health authority is going to do what the master dictates. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, I'm sure that good old, good old Billy has, uh, has some say in what they're, what they're saying. And it's not even that I think that money has a lot to do with any of this, because who's to say that the big beef manufacturers can't like bribe companies to go along and say that, oh, yeah, meat's really healthy, which is what people claim that they do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but the- even outside of the money, I mean, they always promote the things that really are not healthy for you, no matter how much money is involved. Mm-hmm. So it's not that they're so greedy. They, I can't think of anything else other than they don't want us to be healthy. Yeah. <laughs> well, and just an interesting thing, like, you know, from the World Health Organization themselves, this is their report. Um, so this just goes to show, like, what, what they've managed to accomplish So worldwide obesity has nearly tripled since 1975. In 2016, more than 1.9 billion adults, 18 years and older, were overweight. 
Of these, over 650 million were obese. 39% of adults aged 18 years and over were overweight in 2016, and 13% were obese. Most of the world's population live in countries where overweight and obesity kills more than underweight. 38 million children under the age of 5 were overweight or obese in 2019. Over 340 million children and adolescents aged 15 to 19 were overweight or obese in 2016. And just to finish things off, they say obesity is preventable. <laughs> but not by our dietary recommendations. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, the, like, the fundamental thing about this is that, like, nobody is getting fat over eating meat. It's just you can't do it. Try it. You know, I've tried it and it doesn't work. <laughs> when I went I all remember, meat, I did an experiment for an entire month hmm. and it was just basically all I could eat meat. I did not because usually I would only eat like really twice a day, maybe. Mm-hmm. But this experiment I was like, OK, three meals a day, all the meat you can eat. And at the end of the 30 days, my weight was exactly the same. No kidding. <laughs> Well, I did some time on the carnivore diet, and before that it was keto, which is also quite um, meat-heavy, shall we say, and mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I lost weight, and I was eating to full satiety. I was not starving myself. I was eating lots of meat, and yeah. uh, it's too satiating. It's too mm-hmm. nutritious. Like, you, you can't actually overeat it. I mean, you can to an extent, I guess. Like, you know, if you, you're you sitting there with a great big huge steak on your plate or something like that, you might be able to kind of like, all right, I'm finishing this. I'm going for mm-hmm. it. But on average, on a day-to-day basis, you just can't regularly overeat meat. And you compare that to all this other junk food crap that these uh, companies are promoting and selling and producing, that stuff you can very easily overeat. That stuff is like, it's nutrient deficient. It's not satiating at all. You can sit there, you can eat an entire bag of Doritos. You'll feel like crap afterwards too. But it's like, it, it just seems so obvious that meat is not what's the, what the problem is. You know, even leaving aside the fact that we've been eating it for what, 2 million years or something like that? Mm-hmm. I think the if they wanted to lend even the tiniest speck of credibility to any of their studies, which they never do this and they've never done this. Why don't you just have people eat just meat and see what happens? Because the problem with so many of these studies or these epidemiological studies, which they're just asking people what they ate, like, okay, yeah, I ate bacon today. And then for dinner, I had a piece of chicken. Mm. But what are you having with the bacon and what are you having with the chicken? Mm-hmm. Are you having uh, pancakes and bacon <laughs> <laughs> or are you having chicken and waffles? I mean, what are you eating <laughs> to go along with this meat that you're eating? And then you're blaming everything on the meat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you washing it down with a Coke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or some other sugary beverage. <laughs> yeah. Even orange juice. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's true. It would be like, I don't, I haven't seen any studies like that, but it would actually be really good, especially, you know, taking people who have some kind of metabolic condition or something like that. Just take like a couple of hundred of them and throw them on a carnivore diet. Mm-hmm. Just say, okay, that's it. That's all you can eat. Just meat and see what happens. But I, 
I think these people are so religiously <laughs> preoccupied with mm -hmm. veganism and vegetarianism. People think that if they were to do a study like that, that that would, you know, be unethical, unethical. because there's no way that anybody could just eat meat and that's it. Yeah, it's true. I think that, that is, that's exactly what they'd say. They'd probably get, you know, complaints about unethical practices or something along those lines. Or they're worried that their their biases will be revealed and the study would support meat eating. Yeah. Well, that's possible too. Yeah. I mean, especially like an institution like the, the WHO or the IARC, mm -hmm. um, considering like what um, uh, our good friend Klerfeld uh, reported about the that I mean you know a, a quarter to a third vegetarian. Uh, you're not going to see yeah. you're not going to see a, a, a organization like that even glancing at these kinds of things. One of the other things that actually Clairfeld, um complained about is that um, there were two studies that he um, brought up that he brought to the table that were actually like intervention studies where they were, they were actually studies where they, you know, the scientists took a population and did something to them. I think one of them was a rat study and one of them was a, um, a human study, but because those there, they were brushed aside because they weren't specifically about red meat. You know, they were mm -hmm. looking at diet, more diet in general, as opposed to specifically about red meat. So they said, oh, no, we're not going to look at those ones. And, you know, his complaint was lots of the studies that they did use was the same thing, you know, where they were doing a kind of a more broad look at diet, um, and they focused in on the data specific to red meat. And he's like, well, mm -hmm. you know, why couldn't they do that with these studies? But they just brushed it aside because, surprise, surprise, those studies did not show the results that they were looking for. They didn't show that red meat caused cancer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that this is all part, and we've done show a show or two on this before. This is all a part of the, not necessarily so much the vegan push, because I, I'm sure there are probably people out there who are fully aware that veganism is not the healthiest diet for human beings to take part in. But this whole meat is evil mm. thing that's going on that seems to be, well, the agenda that they want to push as far as like uh, reducing the amount of meat that people eat and having people eat crickets and other kind of bugs for protein sources. And then the whole fake meat mm -hmm. or the impossible burgers and those kind of things to spread. Um, I think this is all part of that ongoing war against meat. And it seems like it's kind of ticked up a notch since this whole coronavirus thing happened. Mm. What with all of the, um, the, people who work in slaughterhouses or abattoirs so conveniently testing positive in such large numbers mm. all over the world, like European slaughterhouses, American slaughterhouses, where they're blaming the conditions in the meat processing plants for all these people allegedly testing positive. And we know that these tests are not valid. They can have at least as high as 80% false positive rate but it's just so convenient that so many of these meat 
plant workers are testing positive for coronavirus and these plants are having to be shut down or operating at half capacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And yeah, we've talked about this a lot on the show, the Eat Lancet mm-hmm. study and all that kind of stuff. It really does seem like there is a very organized agenda mm-hmm. behind all this, this push. I mean, the World Health Organization, does it get bigger than that? Um, mm-hmm. And the Eat Lancet, I mean, the sponsors behind that, it's just like, well, you know, probably all those guys who sat down with the IARC were uh, involved in the Eat Lancet study. Wouldn't mm-hmm. surprise me anyway. Yeah. It's just too bad, too, because I was thinking about this earlier today. It's kind of like, you know, say you're just like a guy um, who's kind of starting to come to the conclusion that what he's eating is kind of making him feel not so hot. You know, mm-hmm. maybe some of his health issues that he's got uh, have something to do with his diet. So, you know, he starts doing some research. And rather than actually getting some good, solid information, he's going to go with, you know, the authorities, of course. Mm-hmm. So he's going to find the who. He's going to find, you know, the eat lancet kind of stuff. And he's going to decide that what he needs to do is become a vegan. You know, mm-hmm. he's going to eat as much sugar as he wants to. But as long as he gets rid of that meat, that's going to be what's doing him good. It just, it yeah. makes me mad that, you know, they are swindling well-meaning people. People who are actually mm-hmm. trying to do the right thing are so easily diverted just because of the prevalence of the propaganda. They're so easily diverted into straight up bullshit, essentially. And mm-hmm. it's something that's going to just tank their health you know, they might do well for a little while, right? If they get rid of like, you know, some of the processed food and stuff, although it depends because a lot of that vegan processed food is not going to be any better. But um, yeah, it just, it just makes me mad that um, the real information is out there, but of course it's harder to find than um, the World Health Organization. So. Well, one thing that makes me mad is say that you're just a regular guy, like yeah. the guy in your Same example, guy. who's discovered that what they're eating is not good for them. And they decide, hey, I think I'm going to try and go carnivore. But then all of this Corona craziness <laughs> has come up and meat prices have gone through the roof. There's shortages, mm. empty shells, or you never saw empty shells before. Now this guy with all his new research to back him up on how meat is healthy, he can't get the meat that he needs just because, you know, people want to have a new world order. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's the part that really makes me mad. Right. Yeah, that's true. It seems like there should be some kind of, way out i'm sure there are ways out and ways around this kind of thing for people who really really want meat and of course you can always try to hook up with some local ranchers uh go in on a cow with you know people that you know just find people around you who might need some help like if they you know have some cattle on their farm and see if you can help them out and get some free hamburger or something who knows you know, support like local butcher shops and don't just get your meat from Walmart. I mean, there are ways around it for now, but mm-hmm. they really just don't want us to eat meat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, one of the things that was interesting with this whole 
corona craziness thing is that it kind of emphasized um, how important it is to have those kind of small scale operations, direct to consumer right. kind of stuff. Um, in fact, I saw, I think it was like Joel Salatin on, uh, on the Joe Rogan uh, podcast not too long ago was talking about ex- exactly that. He said that, you know, he and his fellow farmers who are doing direct consumer, direct to consumer stuff were like, you know, they were having the best business ever because mm-hmm. suddenly the massive distribution networks were all but shut down. And so suddenly they were, they were getting customers from all over the place. It really kind of shows that these massive distribution networks are actually quite fragile and yeah, that, um, you know, it, that, that it just goes to show um, if you needed any more evidence or more reason to go, go to the farmer, go, mm-hmm. you know, get, get that direct to consumer kind of stuff going on uh, because it's, it, for one thing, it seems a lot safer on multiple levels and um, it's kind of recession proof, kind of, you know, yeah. obviously everything's got its limits, but. Yeah, that's why I'm not sure like how many farmers actually did do that direct to consumer thing. But the way the mainstream news has it is like, okay, well, our governing body told us to dump all of our milk. So, okay, I'm just going to dump all my milk. (laughs) Like, why did (laughs) more people just not think of this? I'm going to kill all of my cattle because the USDA says that I have to. Well, part of the problem, I think, was also that the abattoirs were shut down also. Yeah. But, you know, there's... There's alternatives. There's, uh, yeah, it seems like there's always a way. You just have to be crafty and creative and inventive. And, yeah. And in the US, the, the, the Weston Price Foundation has um, information on every single state where you can support farmers like Joe Salatin. So the information is out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Especially somebody who's, uh, um, on the ball enough to actually decide they're going to attempt a carnivore diet. Mm-hmm. Probably they're on the ball enough to find their meat, I think. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've kind of covered this topic unless you guys had anything else to add. No, the who is just... I don't even know why we even pay attention to what they say anymore. <laughs> yeah. Because th- there comes a time where you're just like, oh, whatever. I'm not mm-hmm. listening to you. Yeah. I'm not even going to pay attention to you anymore because you've proven yourself to be wholly unreliable. Absolutely. Yeah. Again and again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so our advice for this week is ignore the who, eat your meat, and yeah. Live your life. Yeah. <laughs> exercise. Oh, yeah, and exercise. Yeah, don't forget to exercise. Cool. All right. Well, thanks very much for joining us on this episode. Uh, thanks to my hosts. Thanks to Damien. Um, be sure to like and subscribe, uh, should you so be inclined. <laughs> and we will see you next week for another exciting episode. Talk to you soon. Bye. Yeah. Bye.